There we go. Oh, yeah. When you hear that jazzy kind of like techno disco wannabe music, you know it's time for your weekly monkey business. Talking to you from the studios of WFC3, this is your host. I am Chris. With me, as always, the legendary Billy. Oh, hi. The equally legendary Tanya. Hello. The not quite as legendary, but on her way, Dolly. She's here Hello. today. And uh, our producer, Sherry. Hello. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, Zach and Rob are in the studio today. How are you? Hi. And on the phone with us this morning, this afternoon, Woo-hoo! this evening, whatever time of day you happen to be listening to this, is the uh, is blogger extraordinaire. <laughs> we'll just, I'm not sure exactly how to sum up your career, man, but we have Mark Oshiro with us, the, the man behind Mark Watches, Mark Reads, and Mark Does Stuff. And so That's welcome me. to the podcast, Mark. Thank you. I would like you to know that I have spent the last eight years being unable to describe what I do to strangers, so don't feel bad about it. <laughs> so me trying Very to sum weird. you up in 20 seconds is really not going to work. Super hard. I good. did figure it out. I did figure out a one-sentence summary okay. of what I do, uh-huh. which is I run a one-man book club or television club if you count the TV reviews, uh-huh. but I'm the only person who's never read the book. See, <laughs> and, and Sherry was t- was telling me about that, and, and I think that's phenomenal because there's, there's so much out there that has actually become kind of the collective consciousness that it's hard right. to find somebody who doesn't have a preconceived notion of something. Yeah, and I mean, I'm like somewhat genre savvy because I read a lot of science fiction, but I grew up in a very strict like uh, fundamental Christ- fundamentalist Christian household. Mm-hmm. So everything was demons and devils. So I actually was not allowed. Oh my God. So it's kind of cool because now I'm an adult and I'm getting to watch all the things everyone else watched or read uh-huh. all the things everyone else read. And so it's it's a lot of fun. And and now let me ask you the, the basic frontline question here. Sure. How do you get into this? How do you start not only just experiencing these things from the outset and saying, okay, I am going to read this stuff and I'm going to watch these movies and these TV shows that I never got a chance to. What gave you yeah. the idea to say, I'm going to share the experience with other people while I'm doing it? Uh, it was an accident. Yeah. It was not planned at all. Uh, it was started as a bet from an editor. Oh, really? Uh, and none of, you, none of you were ever supposed to find out about it. It was a, an in-office joke. Uh, I used to work for a media um, corporation in uh, Los Angeles when I was living there called BuzzNet, not mm-hmm. to be confused with BuzzFeed. We were kind of like BuzzFeed and Tumblr before either of those websites got really big, and then we got swallowed up by them. Okay. But I, I got assigned to go to San Diego Comic-Con, uh, and the caveat was I could do whatever I want, cover whatever I want, go to whatever panels, but I had to sit through the Twilight panel. And this oh. was the year God. when that first started getting big. I'm sorry. Yeah, I am so sorry. Um, All right, so... it wasn't that bad. Okay. It wasn't that bad because, one, that was the first year people started camping out to get into Hall H at San Diego Comic-Con. So I, instead of covering the panel, covered the line. Um, And my story ended up doing better than if I would covered the panel because it was much more interesting to people to find out, like, who are these super fans? Mm -hmm. I'm not even kidding you. They literally brought tents, like camping style, to camp on the grounds just so they could see Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart, who were delightful because they just shit-talked the movie the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't know you could do that, and they were just so self-deprecating about, like, our characters are miserable and terrible, please don't be like them, Uh and everyone just ate it up. So it it didn't end up being that bad, but um, uh, basically I got home, and my editor was like, I'm really impressed with the story you did about the people instead of the panel itself, and he just made an offhand comment. It'd be really cool if you read Twilight and wrote about it. Uh, I said a dirty word to him. Uh, <laughs> I was like, that is, 
a terrible idea, but it got stuck in my head. And a few days later, I made this blog called Marguerite's Twilight. And I would write, I, I was so busy. I had a full-time job being a writer and a community manager. Okay. So I would just read one chapter a day because I didn't have time to do a full book in one sitting. And I would write about it, and then I'd post it and be kind of snarky. And then I would send the review to my office mates, and we'd all have a little chuckle. And that's it. It wasn't ever supposed to be a thing. It was just a joke like, ha, 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 look, I'm reading Twilight. Mm-hmm. And then the internet found it. <laughs> and then, the internet is okay. a living creature all of its own, and it's hard to it predict really what it's going is. to be interested in. That is amazing. And and I, I I went from like a few, like 10, 20 people reading it a day to like 10,000 people reading it a day wow. a month later. And then I finished reading Twilight. Spoiler alert, I did not like it. <laughs> um, really? Well, now I have no I desire I did not to like it. Uh, and we can, we can yell about that later. But I, my, my coworker, Bree McGuire, who I'm still friends with, said, I would really like to see you do this, but with something you like. Because it's so fun seeing you get excited about, like, music and television shows. Mm-hmm. I think you should read Harry Potter. And I was like, look, I don't do wizards and stuff. I'm not a fan. I'm a sci-fi person. Like, I don't really do that. Right. Like, I, don't think you, I don't think it's what you think it is. You should read them. And so I started a second blog called Mark Reads Harry Potter. And then the whole internet found me. Yes. And it, I have not stopped. That was, uh, I, I started this in August of 2009. And I've been doing it every day for over eight years now that's amazing that is outstanding yeah it just you don't plan for these things like you know you don't plan to go viral but you also don't i I never plotted out my life where i would be reading books for a living or watching television for a living that was never on my radar at all and it just kept snowballing into this well now it's a hobby oh this is taking up too much time and then it became you know in in 2012 it became my full-time job Mostly out of necessity, I got laid off from a job in the Bay Area. But I, it's been this this beautiful combination of luck and then working really, really hard to mm-hmm. do something that I, I hoped people would resonate with or find some sort of meaning. Um, I don't know. I, I, I missed out on so much stuff, and it was so much fun to be excited about about watching or reading something for the first time. Well, and that thing that strikes me with with all the material I've I've tried to catch up on and in, in getting ready to to talk to you today, um, th- that seems to be the thing that strikes me the most is is how you relate to the people, and that's always the the, the key to success. Is I think don't don't be lofty, like you know, it, Siskel and Ebert can go ahead and break out the the thesaurus and talk about you know the artistic quality of this that and the other, but you sure. you ground it, you you gave it you gave it to the the reality, you gave it to the people who were going to. Be, I hate to say it like the lowest common denominator, you know, but but you yeah. you bring it to the person uh, instead of bringing it to the to the overall kind of like conscious or the opinion of it, I guess. And and because yeah. of that, and because of that genuine excitement, everybody can relate to it that much better. I, I think it's and I, I don't know if it was so much intentional at the start, but very quickly it became an intentional thing on my part. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've been involved in fandoms and and nerd stuff since I was very young mm-hmm. and the sort of like uh you know what i noticed and it's actually one of the reasons why i didn't get into fantasy as a kid was most of the people who were into fantasy in my elementary school and then in my junior high school were very much the like a gatekeeper style of you have to know everything the perfect way there's only one way to interpret things sort of fans yeah and it's, that's not an easy thing to deal with and no. so what i wanted to do was like I think there's such a value in everyone interpreting things in strange ways and, and coming to a piece and being like, you know, um, uh, you know, with Harry Potter, I responded so strongly to it because I had never really read a book series where an abused kid gets to be the hero. 
And that resonated so much with me. Because of and the way you, you were raised? Was, yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's so often like the story is just about the abuse and not anything afterwards. And I was like, this is part of who he is and part of his identity, but he still gets to save the day and he still gets adventures and he gets to laugh and he gets to make jokes. And mm-hmm. there, it, there was such a richness to that idea. And so as I you know, um, started going through the Harry Potter books, I started getting more and more personal about why I enjoyed this. And so for me, it's, it's about validating that personal desire and that personal connection and saying, hey, that is a perfectly valid reason to enjoy something is because it doesn't have an academic resonance to you. There's not some you know, high in theory as to why this is the perfect piece of art. Maybe you like it because it's the first time you can see yourself in something. That's you know, and so I, I think that's just that. as valid. That's perfect. That's awesome. I love that. Now, um, you, you, you know, the second task that you went after was the Harry Potter series. Did you? I'm gonna. I have to ask because my daughter is my, who's going to be 16 in a couple of weeks, and she likes to remind me yeah. that every chance she gets. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Harry Potter is her thing. That's her jam. That's like oh, yeah. Harry Potter is life. Which of the seven books was your favorite, and why? She asked me to ask you that question. Oh, that's so easy. It's always been Order of the Phoenix. Okay. Um, I related to Order of the Phoenix the most. Um, uh, it, it's arguably, I think, the most difficult book to read mm-hmm. uh, because of Harry's state within it and because it's just so relentlessly sad. But, I mean, it relates to sort of what I was just talking about in the last question, which is that I think I related to, like, all-caps angst Harry because my teenage years were so, like, volatile and angst-filled. And I, I, I loved that the book made me uncomfortable. Okay. I loved that the book made me think about complicity and... What are the things that people are complicit in, especially in a school? The main reason I loved it as much as I did is it was the first book I'd ever read where a teacher was a bully. Um, and I got bullied by counselors um, mm-hmm. in junior high and, and elementary school for being a little too effeminate, a little too excited. And so I I'd never encountered a piece of fiction that said this behavior in teachers is wrong and and unmistakably wrong like there's no way you can read that book and think umbridge is a hero mm-hmm. she's awful and and on, just on a just a very basic level that was super empowering to me so i i i love order of the phoenix um i get why it's other people's not their favorite book because it's it's a very rough read but uh that's my favorite of the harry potter books and that's that that's awesome i love that answer and i really appreciate that and and, and it tells us a lot about how people can, everybody can take something from that particular series you know sure. there's there's, a, there's so many different characters so many different characters so many different personalities so many different uh situations and whatnot that everybody can kind of grab something from it that's what i always appreciated from the harry potter series is because right i mean it was it was written as a kid's book but then i watched as the unlike other kids books i watched how it grew up as as the characters grew up so the, know, the material got more yeah. interesting. And so that was always, that's what struck me as interesting. All right. Um, so th- that's awesome. And we're, we're off to an amazing start. So I, do you, did you keep track of how many things you've done now? How many, how many books have you read for this series? How many TV um, shows, movies? You know what? I can actually give you the, well, I mean, I'm sure it might've changed, but mm-hmm. one of the, I actually had to count this year. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm on my phone so I can actually do, look this up. But I believe it's 50 some odd. Oh, come on. I know you're in this, this <laughs> file. I have it. Somewhere. He belongs on this podcast. He really does because we. we <laughs> seriously, you, you, you're like it. kindred spirit, man. I no worries. All right. I believe the count is 57 books mm-hmm. and 103 television shows. 
Usually because I did a lot of shows that were pretty short, so mm-hmm. like getting through them is a lot easier okay. than books. But I believe, yeah, something that's 57 books, 103 television shows in eight years. It's a lot. And wow. it's amazing, too, because there's so much more. Oh, I'm sure. There's so much more everyone misses. Um, so I'm pretty lucky to know that I'm going to do this until forever. I mean, why yeah, not? Why not scratching the surface. Hey, if you, know, if you can make right, exactly. And, and I think it's because of the way you connect to your readers. You know, the people who have going to follow you, the way you connect with them. That's that's just going to become one of those self sustaining cycles. It just keeps going and going. It, your your I your career so. takes I a life so. of its own. Of of the yeah. books that you've read, Mark, um, what yeah. has been your favorite one so far? Other than the Order of the Phoenix, Harry Potter one. Wow. What's the one that's like other? Um, I. I'm a huge fan of the Circle of Magic books by Tamara Pierce. Okay. Um, uh, amazing magical system. Um, I'm super into the idea of like foster care wizards, and it's it's basically a series about kids in foster care, but like a magical version of it. Um, I'm uh, oh man, if I had to narrow it down to one book, I would probably say. Oh, why are you doing this to me? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, because I'm an avid reader myself, so I'm always looking oh, for... Oh, wow. Mark, Tanya is also a school teacher, so putting people on the spot is kind of part of her job Shut description. Up, Christopher. I'm not... No, you don't get to do that to me anymore. I'm sorry. My hand was not... My hand was not raised. Excuse you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got okay. your number, kiddo. Uh, but you know what? We called you, so you have to be ready to answer no, questions. No, no, no. He's, um, he's our guest. No, okay. I got it. I know what it is. It's okay. The Amber Spyglass. Uh, the Amber Spyglass, the last of the His Dark Materials books by Philip Pullman, which is also exciting because there's a new His Dark Materials book that comes out on Tuesday, and I can't even deal with the reality of knowing <laughs> we're finally getting another trilogy in the in the His Dark Materials universe, but... Um, I love the Amber Spyglass a lot. Okay. It's, 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 it's immense, very emotional. I love that book. Now, out of all the TV shows you've watched, is, there's one, is there one that you're particularly looking forward to, but in the end was sort of a disappointment? That's a good question. Paul. Oh. Oh, we're going to a different angle. Um, <laughs> in, general, in general, it's very weird because I basically have my own fandom that knows my taste, so they tend to recommend things that they know I'll react to and enjoy. Okay. Um, I would say I watched an anime that was good, but just it was just so strange that I, I actually don't know how I feel about it. Um, it's called Bacano. Uh, I've heard of it. And it's, it's a heist adventure with weird stuff on a train. And See, it's that sounds like catnip for you. <laughs> right? I'm, it, and I love heist. But it's a very bizarre narrative because it happens out of order and you kind of, it's a lot of things are left ambiguous. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like my favorite show. But um, I don't, I don't know if I've ever, oh wait, I know the answer to this. Why am I hesitating? Uh, <laughs> uh, supernatural. Really? Okay. Hold on, hold on. It was, it was good and I had a great time. And then I stopped having a great time. I know exactly uh, when you stopped having a great time. Dean or Sam? Yeah, that I yeah. There's a there's everyone who followed <laughs> along with those reviews know the exact point where I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. And I kept going, but I was like, I think everyone could tell my heart wasn't in it. So I actually haven't seen the last two seasons. Okay. I like brought it, you know, because normally I try to keep up if I'm watching a show that's still airing. You know, I'll wait till the season's over and then I'll binge watch all of them for everyone. But I haven't like I just don't have the heart to watch. Now, beyond 
the thing. People are whispering across the studio at me at this point, so I'm going to ask you what that point is. What, what was that point okay. that you kind of like the, the show, in essence, jumped Spoilers. the shark for you? I, 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 I can watch pretty much anything. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not the kind of person, like, I've only left one movie in the theater, and I've seen some terrible movies. Like, I stick with them through the end. Mm-hmm. But it is, I believe it's in season 10, correct me if I'm no, maybe 8. I don't know which season it is, but it is the death of Charlie. Okay. Um, yeah. It is. Uh, I knew it. It, t- it, took the whole, it took the heart out of it for me, too. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I, I think because I Charlie was so unique in that universe, and we had not gotten a character, uh, not only had we never had someone who was openly gay who survived more than one a single episode, and not only had, it was, it was here's someone who is, who, you know, the boys think is kind of strange at first, and they're not really sure, but she was the first person in a really long time who they developed this really intense friendship with. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's, I mean, I think there are social issues as to why, that was a terrible choice, but I think just in terms of potential storytelling, mm-hmm. that was what gutted me the most. Was yeah. there are so many directions you can take this character, and by taking them out, you've eliminated all of them. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it it was I just I don't know, especially knowing how much the fandom absolutely adored this character, and we're so thankful to have someone who many people could relate to on the screen. I think it was just one of those things where it just took the wind out of the sails. To, to use the metaphor, I just was like. I'll keep watching, and I did for at least a couple more seasons, but I just, it just never captured the same energy that it had after that. Yeah. No, I, I, my daughter and I, who we've actually met, we met at, when you spoke at Lemoyne. Yeah. Um, my daughter was the one who gave you the, the little, um, dragon, plushie. dragon stuffed animal. It's currently, I finally, by the way, did unpack it, and it's sitting on my bookshelf in my bedroom. Awesome. Watching, awesome. I was going to say watching me sleep, but that sounds really creepy. <laughs> it's guarding you. I feel like it, I, yeah, exactly. It's a lot creepier if you know if you know she put a little camera in it. Um, <laughs> exactly. 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 Well, this show's <laughs> Sorry. This podcast Sorry. just went right off the rails. Yeah. Lana's standing behind oh, me, so I had to pick on her. Um, but we have been watching you we discovered you when you were doing Buffy that's how we came into your fandom yeah and so but Supernatural has always been our show so we've always we buy the video we put it we put it on the computer we put the show up and we sit there and we watch it with you and we watch that with you and we had the same reaction as you and I went and I just afterwards I looked at her and I said he's never gonna like this show again this is it. This is the this is the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not that I don't think that we should be in a world where character deaths are off the table. I, I do think that it's kind of been used as a, as a general trope across the board as like, this is just the shocking thing we're going to do. Because so many shows do that now. And they have like whole events around which character we're going to kill off. At the same time, I think like it, it's not that I want that to be off the table and no one should ever do it. It's it's if you're going to kill off a character, is their story complete? Have you given them attention? Have you given them the storylines that, that could grow them into a full person? And at that point, I think we'd only gotten three or four episodes with Charlie, and she was just starting to come into her own. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason it hurt so much. And, I mean, it's the same with, um, what's his name, Kevin? Kevin, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, who, like, is this very important person to the supernatural mythology. And as soon as he wasn't important, the show just kind of forgot about him. And so it, it's like an extra bit of salt in the wound because it's it, these characters could have had so much more 
but they don't get him. It's not like uh, I'm trying to think who had a pretty good run. Bobby. Supernatural. Bobby. Yeah. Yeah. I think he had yeah. a good. I think until yeah. they brought him back as a ghost, I think that he had a good story arc. He did a lot, and then he. He got had, his own episodes. Yes. He got yes. History. He affected the plot, but then also was a character outside of. He had a whole life outside of the plot, and yeah. and I think that's you know, I don't know. I feel like we agree here on this. Yes, <laughs> I, I think there's not much of a debate there at this point. Now, Sherry has made me aware of the fact that you're a big X Files fan as well. Is that is that correct? Oh man. Okay. <laughs> I am, I am absolute trash for the X Files. Like you, you and I probably have a great debate ahead of us because our, our next our, our next podcast we're doing our not a book club. Uh, which is what we call it. Uh, we're going to be reviewing an episode of the X Files, which I just watched last night, and I, I, I it. One of the hold best on to it. <laughs> you said it was one of the best ones. I had to Jose force Chung. myself to get all the yeah, way through know, it. He knows which uh, one. I had a hard, I had a hard oh, time getting well, all the way well, through it. Question. Yes. Uh, question. Had you seen much of the X Files before then? I've I will be honest. I haven't. I've not really. I've never got into it. Honestly, I, I would watch I occasional episode, and just be like, all right, well, that that happened, and I'll be on my I way now. Truly don't. I truly don't blame you for that reaction because. That, conver- that that episode is one giant conversation with every episode that's aired before it. Okay. There's so many jokes in it that rely on there your was. understanding of the, of the relationship between uh, Mulder, Scully, and aliens. Like, uh. And that's the first episode that's like, you know what? Mulder's kind of full of shit. And so if you don't have that context, if you don't have that context, like, I'm sure that must have been one of the weirdest things you've ever seen. And it's been like, what is this? Like... I'm I'm also noticing that Sherry's Sherry's been suggesting a lot of these episodes that we do for our for our not a book club series, and and one of them was Leverage the Rashomon job, which had kind of a similar oh. feel to it. Where it was basically the story changes from the perspective of how it was being told, and I'm noticing this is kind of sure. like one of her her, her uh, go to things. That's so my catnip. She she her catnip is like you know this the same story from different perspectives type of thing. So I think we need to find like um. But what? I did not suggest that episode. You I did didn't? not suggest the X Files. No, it was me. Was it you? Zach. Zach brought up the, yeah. the X Files one. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna fall back off okay, of that one. Okay. We're, we're back off topic. <laughs> we're back, we're backing off of that topic at this point. The truth but, is out there. The truth <laughs> is out there somewhere, and the truth is that I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. But I'll, I'll tell you, X Files for me, it never really was. I never hated it. I was never like, oh my god, this thing is just junk. I don't want to deal with it. But it was always like, oh, yeah. okay, well that happened. Um, I'm going back like to Doctor it's, Who. It's sitting over there. I'll yeah. let it sit over there, yeah. and I'm going to be in this other room. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I mean, uh, so the thing with the X Files for me is it's actually a quite a formative television show. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in this very religious household, but my mom was secretly a science fiction and horror fan, and she didn't want to let us know for a long time. But the one exception, the one like secular TV show that we are, there was two of them that we could watch growing up. One was The Twilight Zone uh, and the other was The X-Files. And so I actually watched The X-Files for the first seven years in real time um, from seven to 14 years old. Um, it was that was the thing we watched every weekend. Mm-hmm. So I admit that I have a very personal bias because that show was like this weird glimpse of the outside world to me because I wasn't allowed to watch secular television. So like that, that show, I don't know. And it, it's also all about challenging authority. So like little rebellious me was like, Oh, this show's great. Like, <laughs> you know, it's really just aliens and the government. I can't wait. You know, Chris X files is Mark's doctor who. Okay. I, Hey, I can respect that. Yeah. Yes, I absolutely can. Yeah. I've been watching doctor who since I was like, Oh God! I've been Nine. watching it for forty years now. Seven, eight years. I was like seven or eight seven. When, it, when I started watching it, 
And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, that's that is, as Sherry has been throwing around. That's my catnip. I think that's that's our new term now. Is that what we're working with? When did, I was, was going to jump on Mark's bandwagon because I it. think I've seen almost every episode of X Files. Mm-hmm. So, and now, like, so when they say I there's going to be more X Files, do you guys go like, "Oh my God, yay!" Yeah. Okay. I was yeah. like that until I mean, I and I, I, the, you know, the little mini series that we got, the the new season ten, like mm-hmm. I would say, like half of it was good, and the other half was like super, super terrible, and I can recognize <laughs> that, like it was not that great. Mm-hmm. But like we're getting a full season order, and they just released the trailer like a week or two ago, mm-hmm. and my hope was that what I really enjoyed about the X Files was how strange it was, and that this was a network television show that millions upon millions of people watched, and like when I've gone back and watched them, I sometimes have these like very distinct moments where I'm like, how did this ever get to air? How <laughs> were we in the nineties watching a show about a man who can like squish his body into horrible, gross positions? Or like, how do we watch like this show about like this alien blood that can infect people and millions of people were into it. And so I, from the trailer, there's these little glimpses of weird monster of the week things. And I'm like, Oh, please get back to the weird stuff. Like that's, that's well, really what made it for me. One of the episodes of X-Files that I will not go back and rewatch <sighs> was the episode with the peacocks. That the home. The home. Oh, yeah, home. home. That is home. was like one of the weirdest, strangest ever episodes that mm-hmm. I really couldn't go yeah, back and do it again. I believe it's the only the only episode that is not in syndication. Right. Um that was the most upsetting one as a kid. Um and that, that's you know, why. And I wasn't a kid. And <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was 11 when I saw Home, and if you're not familiar with Home, it's a story about a group of like inbred Sestual, racists. Yeah. Oh, okay, and I remember you guys talking about that oh, one during a meeting. Okay, it's horrible because it's not the supernatural. There's nothing supernatural in the entire episode, mm-hmm. and it's all about how people, if they don't have anyone else around them to empathize with, and they don't socialize with anyone, they turn into monsters. And it, mm-hmm. and yeah, the whole middle sequence with that, uh, I think of that Johnny Mathis song where they go after the sheriff. I was bawling at 11, which oh, wow. then my mom was like, later, I had asked her, like, why were you cool with this? And she was like, oh, because, you know, you can tell the difference between fact and fiction. I was like, I literally could not. I was a child. <laughs> right. That's not how that works. But, especially that one. Um, I mean, it was 1996. Yeah, especially so. that one. Very, very real. So, and I mean, that's the thing is every once in a while that show got, like, really close to being super real and it was so uncomfortable. And when you're a kid, you don't know how to question that. But you don't know how to fully process, like, why does this feel more uncomfortable than usual? Um, uh, what is that? There's an episode of season seven called X-Cops that's a parody of the show Cops. Um, and there's a lot of moments in that that are, that like, really, truly frighten me. And I didn't realize it because so much of that episode operates on this assumption that, that cops will, in situations of, like, uh, a high stress or panic, they'll react first and then ask questions later. And that episode wholly relies on that trope. And it was so disturbing to me at the time, but I didn't know until years later, oh, that's what they were actually going for. And there's, I don't know, I imagine it's the same with Doctor Who, with Doctor Who because mm-hmm. there's so much social commentary in that show. And years later, you come back to it and you're like, oh, that was that was very real. <laughs> yeah, that's, that that's happened to me on a couple of occasions where I've watched an episode from the original, the classic series. And, and you know, when I was... 15, 16, 17, I was like, okay, that was cool, and I get it, but you really don't, not until you're like in your 40s, and I'm looking back, and I'm going, okay, so <laughs> that's a whole different ball of wax now. Yeah, exactly, exactly, which is, uh, that's one of the things I love about fiction is, is it can mean different things to you at different times, 
that something you read as a kid could have one meaning to you, and then you get to an, as an adult, and mm-hmm. and it has a whole a, another layer to it that you know just sort of reveals itself to you. Now, Billy, you had something. Go ahead. Yeah, as I look through the list of the shows you've watched, one kind of sticks out at me for a couple reasons. One is because it's one of my favorite shows, but a lot of the shows you've watched are genre genre based and things you'd expect nerds to like. And then there's sure. The West Wing. The West Wing, which I love, yeah. and I yeah. cur- I currently oh. feel like we're in sort of a bizarro version of The West Wing. Yeah, and what you're isn't it? It is. Uh, Bartlett for America is all I got to say. Oh yeah. my God! So I, I, I had uh, for many years. I had this policy of like I'm not going to watch a show that's like more than like a few seasons mm-hmm. because I didn't know that Mark Reads or Mark Watches was going to last that long. Okay. And so I was like, I don't want to do this thing and commit to it, and then everyone disappears and have no audience, and I've now com- I don't know. I was I, there wasn't as much success as there is now. So I I really think West Wing was my first attempt to say, you know what, I'm going to watch a show that is 140 144 episodes long. I'm going to do it. Um, I, it was a pretty easy, I, basically people just yell at me on the internet, like, watch this next. And then that's how I made the decision. <laughs> and people for about a, a solid year had been like, Mark, I know you love writing about politics, but you don't get to do it as much as you want. And like years ago, I used to actually have a blog about politics. So they were like, you need to watch the West Wing, watch the West Wing. Why aren't you watching the West Wing? And I finally committed to it. And oh man, it was, what a great show. Yeah, I agree. What a great show. I mean, even like, even the later great. seasons, even the later seasons, oh. which take a lot of flack, mm-hmm. are better than most good uh, TV nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I always feel that Aaron Sorkin, you know, was was the genius behind it, and when he stepped back after season five, the rest, the other seasons were were not as good. But I agree with Billy. You know, the last couple of seasons of West Wing are still better than a lot of the stuff that's out there. Well, I mean, especially if you look at it, like I think season five is very messy because you can see the showrunners trying to be like. Well, he kind of left us with all of this. We don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And it was once they got to the the second election, and they brought in that longer serialized arc. Right. That oh man, Alan Alda and and Jimmy and um, what's his name? Jimmy, um, Jimmy Smith. God, I the I debate episode is one of my all time favorites. That was awesome. That was phenomenal. I mean, it's, well, you have two classic actors, Alan Alda and Jimmy Smith, who are really not not just good men, but they're good at their trade. And, and yeah, just exactly. they completely improv. They just let him off the leash and let him go for it. And and I thought that was phenomenal. And I thought it was great because Alan Alda, you know, he's he's commonly said in a couple of interviews, the the character's politics and his own politics are almost diametrically opposed. So he really had to work yeah. to understand the character and the approach. So he was going to not resort to sound bites. He wanted to understand so that he could portray the character correctly. And I'm like, oh my, that's and- see, that's what we need. So one of the things I really liked about it, and like when you talk about like contemporary television, mm-hmm. like I noticed like a lot of reviewers like don't like to talk about tropes, even though tropes are still in it. Mm-hmm. And so, well, for example, when you get the first election, the first election in West Wing, uh, Bartlett's opponent is almost cartoonishly opposite mm-hmm. him. Oh yeah, and you don't get someone, you don't get a sense that he is a full person. And I love that they subverted that by saying, "Hey, we're going to make Alan Alda's character the nicest." Republican you've ever seen mm-hmm. and then challenge everyone to be like but he's not terrible he's not this person who is cartoon like a cartoonish villain mm-hmm. based on Jimmy Smith and actually has better points than Jimmy Smith's character sometimes and I found that so much more enriching so much more complicated um, and that's something that I, I love the idea of playing with uh, 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 villains and playing with opponents and antagonists and sometimes an antagonist is not the worst person you've ever seen 
So how do you deal with that? And so that was one of the reasons that those last two seasons of that show were just so much fun to watch. And here's a piece of trivia that I learned only just recently is that Ellen Alda's character was supposed to win. Uh, but because oh, of no John Spen- yeah, John Spencer's passing uh, made that whole, you know, it, shed, it put a shadow on the whole thing because everybody was missing Leo McGarry because, so they, they, you know, Leo McGarry died at the same time John Spencer, the actor, did. Right. And the writers decided that uh, because they just didn't want the, the good, our, our heroes, our, our, our main characters that we've been on this journey with for seven years to not only suffer the loss of Leo McGarry, but then also the loss of the election. So they changed it at the last minute for Jimmy Smith's to win. That is so fascinating, actually, from a writing, like from a craft perspective, mm-hmm. because I think like, if you're dealing with a series, it's different if you're writing something that doesn't have an audience, because I don't think you would make the same choice. But like here, like th- them thinking the audience is also invested all of this for like six years. Yeah. Oh, that is so fascinating. I remember reading. I read it twice just to make sure I was reading it correctly. But <laughs> but I was, wow. it was there was there was a revelation that they had just come out with recently, just saying yeah yeah Vinick was going to win the election and and then what it was going to turn around is that he was going to reach out to um, I can't remember, I can't even remember Jimmy Smith's character's Santos. name Santos. Thank you. Santos, uh, he was going to reach out to Santos and help Santos. and basically make him part of the government so that he would yeah. be part of, on the cabinet or something like that. So there was going to be this great bipartisan you know. So you're still ending on that upbeat note where you know there's hope for the future. We can still Sure. You know, see that transition of, of peaceful power that that we're supposed to have in this country, um, you know, and then but they're like, no, with, with John Spencer's passing and then they decided to, to have Leo McGarry pass as well. They it changed the whole tenor of the of the final season. They're like, we just we can't do that to the viewers. We can't do it to them. So, yeah, they backed off on it. Stuff like that. But now, I love getting the, the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, I think that's just as fascinating as the show sometimes, especially when you have yeah. a show that has longevity. Well, you know, in terms yeah. in terms of Firefly, the show didn't have longevity, but now it's become such a cult fascination. It's, it's just become this phenomenon. So every little grain you can find out about that is, is clever, too. Uh, Mark, I wanted to ask you, there's a couple of things that have been said in the course of this conversation today that have kind of caught my attention. And my, I, have yeah. a, I have just an innocent question first. How do you derive what you're going to work on next? Is, is there a list of things you want to do? Or is it really fan-driven at this point where fans will say, hey, Mark, you should watch that. You should read this. It's pretty much fan-driven at this point. Okay. Um, I, I, about once a year, I'll open up like a suggestions page and everyone votes on, on, you know, once my schedule is starting to clear out and I, only, and I know I only have like one or two shows or books left mm-hmm. on the queue, and then everyone votes. And it's pretty much, you know... Unless there's like extenuating circumstances, like at this point, I'm trying not to take on shows or books that are still going and still being written, okay. just because I don't want to like leave people hanging. But uh, other than that, like it's pretty much whatever is most voted for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, and I mean, it's I'm pretty much set for at least a couple years at this point. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, I was cool. going to suggest Black Mirror. Yeah, oh. that's a, that's a show we've been oh, talking about I, often in our podcast. I, I binge watched that and then had nightmares for a week. So <laughs> thank you. That's about right thank for us. Thank you very too. much. Now, is there something? Oh, my oh go ahead. God. I'm sorry. I, I was just wondering if there was something that on the table that you know you're like, oh, I really want to get into this show, but right now I got to cover this for the fans and I got to cover this for the fans, and then they want me to do this. Oh, so there's like something on the table um, that you want to do, but you haven't been able to get to it. I want to do. Uh, I don't know anything about it. So don't say anything if you've seen it. Okay. But there's the show that I just keep hearing, basically like seeing people be like, watch it, please. And not to me specifically, but I just see people talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of like, I'm like, oh, I wonder what this is. But there's the show with, um, uh, oh my God, 
the actress who played Veronica Mars. Oh, okay, um, Kristen Bell. The good, the good place. The good place. And I have about eight million people in my life who are all not t- not talking about it to me, but just talking about it and being like, "This show is ruining my life." So, like, there's a part of me that's like, "Do I watch it on my own or do I save it?" For, like, <laughs> maybe when I have some extra time. So, like, um, I mean, other than that. Other than that, I've actually been reading a lot in my free time mm-hmm. and actually taking time out to just sit and, and read a book like a normal person, Lovely. by the way. How's that feel? Which has been, it's so great. <laughs> um, it's so great. Um, so I don't have many books because I just have been like getting at least like a book done, book or two done a month um, mm-hmm. at this point. But um, oh, I don't know. I pretty much get to watch like, all the things I had been interested in, I'm watching in the next year. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, never mind. <laughs> Do you ever get a suggestion from, like, fans or you're like, God, no, I've never touched that? Oh. Oh, that's a good one. See, <laughs> um, I got some good people here. One, we come up with stuff. There was there was one for a while, but I ended up doing it for a fundraiser. Uh, which was Fifty Shades of Grey. I was actually going to guess that because I saw the, I, I, I caught that on your channel the other day, and it was yeah. like, well, this is for so and so, and I hate you because of it. <laughs> <laughs> I so what you know, I I I really truly have very rarely had to like react to a series like I did to Twilight. It has been really cool that people have figured out my taste and recommended me these amazing, you know, exciting and thrilling television shows and books. So it's pretty rare that I get to something that I don't like. So a lot of people are like, oh, we kind of miss you yelling at things. You should do Fifty Shades of Grey. And I was like, I will die before I read a word of that series. No, thank you. And then I ended up doing it for a fundraiser and read all three books and horribly regret spending one second on that terrible trilogy. But, you know, um... Whoa! I don't. I don't know that there's something at this point that I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Everything's on the table because you know it, it, you never know what Wait, you're going okay. to experience. I, I actually there is. Okay, there is one thing on it, and it wasn't because I disliked it. Mm-hmm. Um, about two years ago, uh, the highest one of the higher voted things was the show Band of Brothers, which I loved okay. and I, I thought it was an incredible show. But when you're when you are doing critical analysis of fiction and then switching that to nonfiction, you can't you can use almost none of the same tools. And so I struggled with writing like every single episode. I'd be like, I can't talk about character development because these are real people. Mm-hmm. I can't talk about like story development because this is literally just how the history happened. It was so hard to write about. Um, and I, it's not that I, I have a disinterest in writing about nonfiction, but I I, I think it would need to be a special case if I did nonfiction again, uh, just because it was like it's like it wasn't in my toolbox. Mm-hmm. I had to like go out to the Home Depot and be like, I don't know how to analyze this, this series. What am I doing? Like, <laughs> so that, was, that one was pretty hard. Okay, go ahead, Sherry. Okay, um, as a longtime fan and someone who's been on the um, on websites where we talk about things, um, the things we want to suggest to you and things, and there's a series sure. that keeps coming up. That I personally, it's one of my all-time favorite series, and there's so many things in it that I think you would absolutely just adore about the series. But there's things that I know would be triggering. Oh, I mean, I do that stuff all the time. So it's just as long as I'm warm beforehand, I'm good. Because I don't know if you've heard anything about uh, Mercedes Lackey's books, but if you... Uh... 
I mean, I, I hear, but I can go to like science fiction and fantasy conventions all the time and people talk about them. So, I mean, I think it would just be an issue of people just have to suggest it. Yeah, but that's no, something that's something we've debated. Do do we suggest this to Mark yeah. because there are things that are very I, I, upsetting and would be particularly upsetting to you? Mm-hmm. I I say I always err on the side of suggest, and as long as I have a warning, that's okay. fine. Because it's more about getting in the headspace. Mm-hmm. Because like when I'm recording a video and like doing a reading or watching something, you know, I just it's I have to be on the entire time, um, which can be exhausting. So as long as I'm like going into it being like okay. This might be a little rough. At least I know it's it's what used to happen in the early days of Marcus stuff is what people wouldn't warn. And I would watch things that were not fun to watch on camera at all, at all. And that's where that rule came about is because I was like, I don't think there's actually anything. There's any entertainment value being derived out of watching me watch like a sexual assault or watch, you know, like someone be super racist. Like that's mm-hmm. not something that I think is entertaining. It's not like, you know, watching Dollhouse. Or watching, you know, uh, um, uh, God, what like Battlestar Galactica, where you have like you get messed up by a plot twist. And oh that God, makes yeah, you very emotional. Yeah, like that is I, I absolutely get people who are like, I drink up your pain. It's delicious. Uh, <laughs> you know, like there, there's something. They're out there. It's sort of like yeah. I, there was that whole trend of of just reaction videos to the Red Wedding. Oh God, <laughs> I watched every single one of them. I had read those like, books. I get it. Like. I had read the books. I knew I knew the Red Wedding was coming, so everybody else was going into a blind panic when the, when they were seeing yeah. it for the first time. Where I knew it was coming a mile away, and I still was like, you know, I'm like still on like the edge of the shocked. couch, grabbing yeah. my chest, going, "Oh my god!" You know, so I still haven't seen but, the Red Wedding scene, but I've ugh, read the books. It's yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah. it's hard. It's, it's hard. And I absolutely laughed the entire time sitting next to my friend mm-hmm. watching them react because they didn't read the books. They 100 percent like had no idea it was coming mm-hmm. and then i had this moment where i was like oh that's why people watch my videos because yeah. this moment is actually really entertaining to watch <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah i would i would always err on the side of like i don't know i think it's pretty fun to be like i i admit, maybe it's just because i've been doing it for so long i actually mm-hmm. really like being navigating that difficult path of i like this book but these are the things i don't like in the book or these are the things that don't you know don't necessarily work for me because I, I think the way we consume things is complicated, and I think the way things are written is complicated. And I would much rather deal with the complication. Um, I, I find that my review, the reviews I like the most are the ones where I struggle along that line of like, man, this show's really great, but this episode sucked. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and it's a, a great example of that is the literally all of the Star Trek canon where I will literally go from one episode being like, this is the best show I've ever seen. I want to be buried with it to the next show. Or the next episode, I'm like, who created this? Please bury this. I know. <laughs> you know Please I bury know. them. <laughs> look, looking on, at your... Spock's brain ruled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, you know look. what? I didn't hate that episode as much as fandom did. I thought there were way worse ones. I there agree. There's an Enterprise episode coming up that I think it's the worst thing I've ever seen. And it made me so mad because I was like, you had like 30 years to get this right and you still messed it up. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, love, I don't know. I have I to go back and rewatch Enterprise. L- looking at your site, you seem to have the don't same love hate relationship with uh, iZombie. I, I. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it was. I, I have some complicated feelings about it, but I would say that I'm like ninety percent like. Like that show is so much fun, and I admire Rob Thomas as a writer. I, I love this show, so but invested. I. 
I've had I had some issues with the occasional episode. Like I I missed the yeah. point where Liv used to try and fight the zombie brain and be herself. Now it's just a complete takeover of whatever yeah, she brain she's in. eaten. Yeah, I I um I don't know. I I I definitely like story like the serialized arc. I think that and, and that's that's my catnip. I love serialized stories. Like so, so much on television. Mm-hmm. So I think that sort of overrode that struggle between human monster, which is also another trope I really like. <laughs> so it's just like one trope had more catnip than the other, I guess. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us off the rails on this one. I want to circle back to something I heard earlier that kind of caught my attention. Sure. Um, and, and Sherry had, uh, was, was discussing something earlier, and then she, she mentioned how she had joined your fandom. So let me ask you this. Um, how surreal was it to realize that you weren't just a facilitator, but you became kind of the the center? You became the star yourself. When, when how how surreal was that? Um, very <laughs> <laughs> or not at all. You know, depending. I mean, you may you no, may have expected it, it, but I don't know. No, I mean, I guess I've accepted it, but there's a whole Tumblr, like a Tumblr account just devoted to my face. Like, oh my god. That's the level. It's called. It's my uh, my friend Kelsey runs it. It's called Mark Reacts. Mark Reacts. It's just like gifts. It's just gifts <laughs> of like my videos, like the the key pivotal moments. Mm-hmm. And like every once in a while, I'll go to it and and it's I don't know. It's the way things spread is the weirdest part of it all. Yeah. I have, for example, I have like the core Mark Dust stuff fans who are on the the websites every single day. Many of who I know like on a first name basis. And then there's the Mark Spoils people. There's a website devoted where you can like talk in plain text spoilers about the things that I'm I'm reading so you don't have to worry about spoiling me. Okay. And then I have my YouTube fans. There are people who will just watch my YouTube videos and have no idea I write reviews. And even though I talk about them, they don't seem to get that there's a second thing. So <laughs> I've had people come up to me at events or conventions and they're like, your YouTube is like, you're like my favorite YouTuber. And I'm like, cool. Like, have you, you know, like, what thing did you like following? And I'll mention, like, a TV show, and they're like, you don't review television. I'm like, oh, oh, this is weird. Uh, <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> and Which is fine. I think it's perfectly valid to be like, this is the way that I enjoy consuming the things that you're creating. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and then I have the convention people, like the people who know me as the person who reads terrible Chuck Tingle stories to them at conventions, <laughs> like, or bad fan fiction, like, and so... That's the part of it that's the most surreal is that I, I am a different person to other people. Even though for me, I'm like, this is just all the stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, I never could have planned how far this weird little bet would have spread. And, and knowing that, you know, the work that I do gives people pleasure during the day and that they laugh and mm-hmm. they get to, they get to a enjoy break. a television show or a book with a total stranger. Like, I, actually, the weirder, one of the weirder things was was sort of what you were talking about, about how, um, um, Sherry, about the video thing is, is, you know, I make these videos and I put them up and I never rewatch them. I never go back to it. But like people tell me like they'll come home from work and the thing that they calm down with is they'll watch television with me. And they're like, I get to have a best friend who really likes this television show and I get to watch it with them. And that was like, that hit me. I was like, I'm like this person in people's living rooms who watches their shows with them and, and because I'm just babbling through the whole thing, it's 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 that whole f- sense of like, oh, I get to have a friend mm-hmm. in who's into the same thing as me, and like, 
that'll never stop being strange, but not in a negative way. It's right. It's, it's amazing to me that we're in an age where this is this can happen, and that I can do this, and that someone else can and derive entertainment from it. And I have a deep amount of respect, and I, I know you you personally are made of sterner stuff than than the average bear because you've been through so much. But I like yeah. how and Sherry and I've talked about this on several occasions how you really make the extra effort to create that safe place. You you watch you know you can be you're very careful of the language used, you're careful of the how things are approached, and so that makes yeah. it more inclusive. Anybody can take away from that because they know. They're hanging out with Mark. They this is they're not going to be they're not going to get triggered. They're not going to have nothing's going to come across there without warning or without some sort of yeah uh, you know, like a cushion of some sort. And, and some would say, well, hey. you know, Mark is worried about no no no. I he, he's crafting this. Yeah, it's more about like it's not saying that these things will never happen because mm-hmm. you can't control other people. Right, and you you can never truly have a safe space unless there's one person in it and no connection to the outside world. Then mm-hmm. you have like. So this notion, and I get pushback from it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I get emails or tweets or, like, people telling me to stop using trigger warnings. It's spoiling the review, which I'm like, you know what happened to the episode. This is not a spoiler. Be, be quiet. Right. Um, but it's more about, like, it's just making that extra effort so that you – my goal is to be the website where people are like, oh, no, you can read the comments here. Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, like, I don't want to be YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, YouTube. I'm throwing you under the bus. That's but, quite like, all right. I don't want to be YouTube. I don't want to be, you know, like uh, Huffington Post or a place where you go and like three comments in, you're like, I don't like humanity anymore. I'm going to close every browser I've ever used in my life. You know, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Yeah. Or that. Yeah. I, I just I want there to it's, be this semblance of safety so that you can unwind and you can have these really cool conversations, um, you know, or or you can come to a place. And it can actually just be pure entertainment. And mm-hmm. it's not like a greater social environment for you. For you, it's just like, I just want to come somewhere and unwind and read about people freaking out over this, <laughs> this really cool episode or chapter that I read. Mm-hmm. And I think you can accomplish both by just taking a little bit of care of how communities are, are constructed. Mm-hmm. I, and I got full respect for that. That is just, that's awesome. It's kind of yeah. some of the things that we do. For our comic book convention, for Flower City Comic Con, we're very clear about how we want to approach cosplay, which is a big thing, and yeah. how we want to handle yeah. the panel schedules and things like that. We want to make sure that when people realize they can bring their family to this show, they really can bring their family to this show. It's not yes. just a, a catchphrase to get you to buy tickets. Because it's such a, I, I think going to conventions and going to these social events around like the things we love in, in the nerd world can be such a transformative experience. Like, so this weekend I was at Beach City Con, which is a Steven Universe-themed convention, and I, it was the youngest convention I think I've ever... And what I mean by young is like it's the first year that it ran, but also I would say the average age was like 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only was the energy amazing and the sense of humor of everyone amazing and the, oh, I, the cosplay this weekend has been ridiculous, but I loved this idea that it felt like the nicest playground every panel that i was in and walking down the hallway and like being able to say you know the convention did a hard job or, or like they 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 worked hard to create this environment by establishing rules and how you know how it would work if you were underage and how it would work if you were bringing children and which panels you should go to and whatnot mm-hmm. and because of the work they did beforehand the people showed up and they already understand like this is the like baseline behavior that we accept and these are the things this is how you should treat other people because really it's it's a, it's a giant group of strangers. You never know how a group of strangers is going to interact. And so I, I, I've seen that with many, any of the conventions I've been to 
where like you're talking about with flowers, like you make that attempt beforehand mm-hmm. and then you, you make the attempt when the event happens. Like, and you see the reward, the rewards of it. And I think those rewards are so monumental that I, I don't understand conventions who are like, ah, we're, we don't care. We're not going to do anything. Yeah. People will behave themselves. I, I see conventions all the time where it's just like, well, you know, we're getting our ticket sales. We've got our vendor fees. We're good. You know, whatever happens next doesn't, we don't, we don't care. And it just boggles my imagination. It's like, um, wait, you're missing a really valuable and huge point. Um, and, and staying on the convention tech, I, I'm, I'm being told yeah. about con or bust. Tell me a little bit more about that. That's me. No, um, <laughs> Connor Bus. Um, I got voted in as the the president and the board of directors of Connor Bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor Bus is a nonprofit organization. Um, it's so interesting how I just went right into that spiel. You said it, <laughs> and I didn't even realize I was talking like a president. Um, it's, it's I, I was cool. setting you I up. I'll admit about, it. Yeah. Well, I found <laughs> out about them years ago um, because one of my friends was at a convention that I was um, um, a uh, program participant at. And they told me that they'd gotten a scholarship for it. And I was like, what? They're like, yeah, I got, like, sponsored to go to this convention. And I was like, who, what? How do, I didn't know you could do that. And they explained it to me that it, it, there's this organization that was run by this woman named Kate, uh, Kate Nevue who, who uh, basically ran auctions um, to raise money and then also took, you know, charitable donations as well. And then people could apply for a scholarship to – from anywhere from I need just a ticket for this weekend for this local con – um, to full everything like transportation and lodging. Um, and so it was born out of, you know, a number of controversies in, in the science fiction and fantasy community, uh, namely uh, this, a big one, which I have no time to explain because it, it'll take years, but it was called Race Fail. <laughs> gotcha. Um, and if, yeah, and, and it was this desire of, well, how do we get these conventions um, you know, uh, not so much how do we get conventions, but like one of the biggest roadblocks for a lot of conventions in terms of having diverse participants and diverse attendees is cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you, you historically have that uh, in, in the United States that people of color have a harder time getting to these places. And so that was how Connor Bus sort of came to be. And it's, it's now a thing that I have been working on for over a year now. Mm-hmm. And um, God, one of my favorite things to do is to get like our spreadsheets that show the people who have applied for aid and being able to say yes to all of them and say, yes, I know that you may have never been able to go to this convention. We are, you know, we sent like a number of people to Worldcon in Helsinki this year. Oh, wow. um, and that's a, like, that's a huge deal to that someone is. who otherwise would have never been able to afford the ticket over there, never been able to afford a hotel. Um, and so it, we run, we run uh, one or two auctions a year um, we get a lot of people in science fiction and fantasy who donate things like signed copies, manuscript critiques, um, agents will get involved or whatnot. Um, and then we just immediately turn that money around and grant people aid to get to conventions. And um, I mean, some of the coolest things is, is there's people who have been, uh, you know, gotten scholarships through us or, and gotten aid and then been invited as guest of honors to conventions that they got to go to uh, at, while they were under Connor Bus. And that's I awesome. like that's so cool. Because, I, I don't know, I just love the idea. It's, it's the whole idea of possibility. We want all people to have the possibility to be able to do, attend these events and to meet other people and to network and to make friends just like everyone else does. And so mm-hmm. it's something I'm, like, super proud of and very glad that I am involved with because, I mean, I didn't, I didn't start going to conventions like science fiction, fantasy conventions until 2013. It was, it's not 
it's not been a long time thing. I couldn't afford conventions growing up, so, okay. so that's a, that's a factor. That we are now. What's that? That's a factor. That's something you have yeah. to, to deal with, and that's what you're kind of dealing with through through Connor Bus. Um, yeah. For, for for what it's worth. I mean, I'm fairly empowered because I'm one of the senior board members of, of the Flower City Comic Con and everything. I, I would love to say that if there's anything that FC3 can do to help, if we can participate in some way, shape, or form, if or contribute yeah. information, please let us know you know as fast as possible, and we will be happy to do what we can. Um, and actually, I ahead. can answer that because this is for anyone else who happens to be listening. Mm-hmm. One of the easiest ways we tell people to help with um, with Connor Bust is mm-hmm. if uh, if conven- conventions can just donate memberships okay. and say, here, we'll, we'll give you five passes for the weekend. And then what we do is we have a huge network and we'll promote them and say, hey, this is this convention. If you would like to go and like you're in the area, you know, you can apply to get one of these passes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a relatively low cost way yeah. of getting people in the door who might not, uh, might not otherwise either have known about your convention, but also may not have been able to afford. Um, but I, I mean, I also reach out to you privately well please do well that leads me to my, my next thing is is i would like to yes. formally invite you to come to flower city comic-con in june of next year yeah. of 2000 and and present and basically be one of our our, our guest panelists and have a, have a chance to talk to the public i would love to i cannot commit to anything because right. my book because oh wonderful which segment. leads me to the last point i was going to come up with second <laughs> yeah and I have no idea. I literally have my marketing meeting. I'm so excited. I get to say that sentence. That is awesome. Marketing meeting next month. Oh, I'm so happy like, for so you, man. I have man. no idea what. I have no idea. Like I, I. So I'm, I'm the kind of person. Like I've mm-hmm. been promoting myself for a long time. So I'm always thinking six months ahead and like, okay, what conventions should I be going to right. around this time and what places and and whatnot. And this is the first time in five years that I'm like, nope, I can't schedule anything. I have no idea what my life is going to be like. That's phenomenal, months. though. That's so cool. And, and we have a, yeah, a so, huge uh, uh, bookstore in the area called Barnes and Noble. We've got three <laughs> outlets up oh, here. What? <laughs> oh yeah, we're, we're we're civilization over here in Western New York. Yes, there, there's three Tell large. Me more about Barnes and Noble. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the thing. I, I will. Uh, we will hook up. I'll make sure Sherry gets some information for you. We will definitely. We'll be yeah. sending out some weekend passes and probably even one or two VIP passes packages, mm-hmm. uh, so you can uh, participate. Get that into the Connor Bust program, and and oh, we'll be happy awesome. to, to at least do that. Um, we will send out a reminder just to let you know we are June uh, 9th and 10th of 2018 next year, and you know. Jot it down if you get a chance. Pencil us in. If if it comes to pass that you can come join us, we will roll out the red carpet for you, man. Oh, that's so sweet. I would love to come. I've also not explored New York like <laughs> state very much. I've only been to Syracuse and New York City, and I feel like there's lots of stuff in between. You were close. Yeah, we're, we're so about an hour and a half I'm west so of, of Syracuse. Yeah. But um, yes, I mean, I, I'll tentatively say yes, I want to come. Wonderful. Um, I just It's just a matter of Oh, this is going to sound like the douchiest sentence I've ever said, but I'll have to talk with my publicist. Uh, no, dude, that is pure cool. awesome. Like, that's, that's not douchey at all. That was pure awesome. Yeah, we totally get it. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, if, if it works out, great. If not, we'll figure something out. And you know, there's always we're oh, yeah. we're not going anywhere. We're, we've got a we've got a ten and a twenty year business plan on the on the the books at the moment. So we're not going That's anywhere. Awesome. And we'll, we'd love to Good. have a chance to talk to you, especially after the book comes out. Now, I, w- I want to end with that. I want to tell us a little bit more about the book. Oh my god, y'all! I wrote a book. Really? He doesn't just I, read; I he writes too. Yeah. So I I started working on this book in September 2012 while I was watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> um, 
uh, I got the, I'd had this like kernel of idea for years, but I like Marcus stuff was taking over my life. And I was like, and I had this, you know, I was like, this is the thing I'm going to do for a while. And I'll just write it out as long as I can. Um, and then while I was watching Buffy, um, uh, I, I, that little kernel idea then sprouted into a garden and I was like, Oh, maybe I should just work on this on my free time. It took me two years to write one draft because I was doing so much other stuff. And two years isn't that long for a whole book, a whole ass book. Like (laughs) I've been working on the same book for probably 12 years at this point. So I completely understand your pain on that one. Yeah. So, um, I had initially wrote, uh, it was the first book in a science fiction trilogy about murder robots hiding underneath a city. And I was super stoked. And, um, I went through a very rough period from like 2015 to 2017 after the book was uh, completed, the, the initial drafts. Um, I queried a bunch of agents, got rejected a lot, mm, which sure. is very normal. normal got rejected yeah. a lot. But one agent uh, in t- last summer um, was like, I like this story. Uh, you have an amazing voice in this main character. Uh, so you've written this really cool YA contemporary book. And you also wrote a science fiction trilogy. Pick which one you're writing. And oh. it was the first. Mm. It was the first bit of like really hard criticism that I was like, oh, because you know, like a lot of times you get form rejections or you'll get like, I like this, but it's not really my thing, and those don't really help focus anything. And so, I rewrote an entire book in like four months mm-hmm. uh, and turned it from a science fiction trilogy into this standalone young adult contemporary book. Um, so it is coming out next year on May twenty second. With Tor Teen, which is a dream, Tor Books is publishing. What? <laughs> um, but like that's so exciting to say. But um, it's called Anger is a Gift, and it's about a bunch of uh, queer teenagers in the Bay Area mm-hmm. who uh, the main character learns how to be in a relationship for the first time while also fighting uh, uh, police brutality at his high school. Um, and it's sort of my it's i mean it's my baby it's the thing that i've been working on for a long time and mm-hmm. um i i don't know it's 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 weird because uh, you know I'm, i'll be 34 when my book comes out and there was a part of me that's like oh you know i wish i had done this earlier but i don't know that i would have been ready mm-hmm. um i never finished college but instead my my education has been mark reed's it's <laughs> been like dissecting books and, and, and I don't know that I would have been ready if I hadn't gone through this, you know, multi-year period where I talked about, like, plot and, 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 and suspense and how to write certain themes and whatnot. And it made me much more confident in composing this story. Um, so I don't know. I feel like it's happening at the right time in my life. Perfect. Um, it's very surreal. I can imagine. Like, it's super. I just actually literally last night finished like first pass pages of like the print of my book. Uh-huh. Like I got to see what it's going to look like. And I was like turning it and I kept getting very giddy when I would like turn the page <laughs> and my name would be at the top next to the page number. I'm like, Oh, that's me. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> like, oh, wait, hang a second. Very, oh, I'm like, Oh, I wrote this. Wow. That's cool. So, but it's this very pure thing for me because reading, like I've been reading since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I, you know, read every book in my mom's house growing up. Like, and it's just, it's very cool to know that I'm finally going to have one with my name on the spine. That's just awesome. Yeah, is. Congratulations, man. I've already got it pre-ordered. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry's already, Sherry's already got pre-ordered. Um, I want to take the time to say thank you. Thank you for spending some time with us today, Mark, and oh. telling us about your, more yourself and sharing and sharing how you experience the world. I, I, it's been phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. This was 
This went by in like a second. I can't believe it's how is it 141? I feel like I just started talking. I know, seriously. <laughs> the, when you have a good conversation I, flowing, time flies. And now that we've set some I things think... up, I'll hit record. <laughs> <laughs> That's but Billy that's for you. That's an inside joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we've, we've recorded 52 podcasts so far. We've only done the, the I wasn't recording once. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Can we just take one second before we let Mark go for uh-huh. me to uh, do an inside joke with Mark? Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, Mark. Um, as I said, uh, my family and I saw you at Lemoyne in Syracuse. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you shared something of utter beauty with us. That has taken on a life of its own. You shared galloping abs. Oh, no. Galloping abs? I will tell you all about it later. Um, all right, so galloping abs is. Oh, my God. <laughs> is this worse than his armpits hurting? Yes. Oh, God, we were supposed to ask you about that, too. Um, oh, God. Everyone, I'm in so much pain right now. <laughs> it has not affected your voice whatsoever. Which is good. Like, it's fine. Like, but like, like, so here's my real quick, my thing, you know, like I, being able to travel around the, the country uh, and really the world doing Mark this stuff and having all these events and going to conventions. It's I didn't get to travel as a kid. And so I'm like, this is my chance to see all these places I've never been. And so I've made it my thing that whenever I go to a convention in a city, I do at least one thing that's like weird or a little bit off the beaten path. It's awesome. like, I'm going to do this and enjoy it. And the thing I found here in Virginia Beach was ziplining in the marsh. And I was like, yes, I love this. I want to do this. Here's why you should read an entire website before you book tickets. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know. I read it and it was like 21 ziplines. I'm like, yes, I'm into this. Let's do it. I get there and I misread. It was 21 ziplines spread over 15 obstacle courses. Oh, no. Oh, I had to work to get to all of them. And, like, I did all the, like, the kid ones at first and was like, oh, this is not easy. Too I got this. Yeah. Uh-uh. Like, six courses in, I was like, oh, this is a workout. Okay, I'm fine. And then I got, I never even got to the high-level ones because I did, like, the intermediate challenge ones. Uh-huh. And then I, I, not only am I sore, I found a huge bruise on my arm <laughs> and I think my soul ejected from my body. <laughs> it was so hard. It was all, like... You were, like, attached with, like, carabiners on a wire, but, like, you still had to use all your upper body strength to get through across one of these things. And I remember at the end, like, I did the most difficult course I did, I did at the end, and I was, like, pouring sweat. I was, like, in that weird thing of, like, this is kind of fun, but I'm also miserable. And I turned around, and this, I had, there was one of these obstacles where you had logs on a wire. It had been raining, so it was wet, and the logs spun. Oh, no. you had to, like, Dart across, and there was not one log. It was like six logs in a row. I nearly died going across this thing and was like, I, can, I cannot do another course after this. I turn around, and this six-year-old kid just runs perfectly across all the <laughs> I'm, done. I'm done. I'm so upset right now. And that was the whole... The whole morning was little kids just showing me up every every turn. Oh. So my armpits hurt because of zip lining. Okay. <laughs> now That's... back to your galloping abs. I'm no, sorry. No, <laughs> galloping abs got to come later. That's got to come later. Oh. oh, my stars. Mark, that's been fantastic. I, I really appreciate your time today, and, and talking with you has been a hell of a lot of fun. And I hope to see all of you in June, and this was, thank you, this was, this was a lot of fun for me, too. I really appreciate it. Well, looking forward to having you on. If we can't get you to come up in June, we're going to have you back on the podcast so we can hear about how the book is going. Yes. I would also, I, I, I have to go catch a bus back up, up 
wherever I'm going. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I would also be interested in doing one of the specific, the not a book club ones. Woo-hoo! I'm all if in. You want to talk we, to me in the future? Absolutely. I love being very specific about things. Awesome. Uh, that is definitely we'll we'll make that happen. Sherry will definitely keep you in mind on that one. Um, so okay, so for Billy and Tanya, for Dolly, for Sherry, for Monkey Girl, for Zach, for Rob, and myself, this has been some time with Mark Ashiro. Mark, thank you once again. And this has been Monkey Business, a product of the Mighty Monkey Corporation, purveyors and producers of the Flower City Comic Con, coming at you June 9th and tenth. Uh, 2018 18. at the wow, that's amazing. A couple weeks after going. Mark's book comes out, exactly. Follow <laughs> us on Facebook. FC3 ROC is the best way to find us. And if you're interested in advertising or sponsoring, email us at sponsors at FC3ROC.com. Thank you again for hanging out with us, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>